Welcome to episode 186 of the Truth Quest podcast, The Truth About Ukraine. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as Hunter Biden's laptop, happiness, decentralization, Anthony Fauci, or the injunctions against the vaccine mandates come up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, Rumble, and Instagram where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest Podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Resident Biden recently announced he is sending troops to Eastern Europe as a deterrent to Russia, who has spent the better part of a year amassing troops on the Ukrainian border. A recent poll by ABC News Ipso found that Biden's move is only approved by 29% of those surveyed, leading many people to ask the question, what national interests does the U.S. have in Ukraine? I enjoy listening to the Warhawks on both sides of the aisle try to articulate an answer to that question. The question that these same people never ask is what national interest does Russia have in Ukraine? A question that is easily answered with a short history lesson. We're going to tackle all of this in this episode. We are told that America is a force for good in the world, and if we don't stay involved, the world will go to shit. In a recent episode of his podcast, Ben Shapiro defended this position, saying foreign policy requires that we consider who our enemies are and look five or ten years down the road and thwart their ambitions now while they're less powerful rather than later when they are more powerful. He argued that it was terrible that the American military shrunk in size after World War I. According to him, it was ranked 19th in military strength in the world at the time of World War II rolling around. That, he argued, was an invitation for aggression by the Japanese and the Germans. He goes on to argue that, quote, whenever the United States cuts its defenses, America's enemies take advantage, end quote. This is what happened in the 1990s, he claimed, as America, believing the Cold War was over, opened the door for al-Qaeda to step in the void, and the next thing you know, 9-11 happens. There's so much to unpack, I almost don't know where to start. First of all, this type of foreign policy, looking to thwart enemies, seems to me to be the equivalent of the U.S. always looking to get in trouble, kind of like a mischievous kid. Secondly, to respond directly to, to Shapiro's point about America believing the Cold War was over in the 1990s, it was. We will discuss this in more detail in a minute. Some might ask, why can't one of our options be not to fight them at all? Well, because according to this line of thinking, taking preventative measures is a lot cheaper monetarily and in lives and damage than a full-out war in the future. So the only two choices America has is to act as the world's police force or war sometime in the future that could presumably have been avoided had we only acted as the world's police force in the first place. I want to quickly address his claim that 9-11 happened because we appeared weak due to the U.S. military cutting back. That is a very ignorant statement from a very intelligent person. 
We know why 9-11 happened because Osama bin Laden told us. U.S. involvement in the Middle East. We fought two wars against Iraq, for crying out loud. We had personnel all over the region. To anyone living in that region, we are aggressors. I understand that for some of you, you might be hearing this line of reasoning for the first time. I was like you and Shapiro, for that matter, throughout the George W. Bush years, until I began hearing the other side of the equation. Keep listening and see if you are convinced. My final rebuttal to Shapiro's comments is in the form of a question. Is he suggesting that the answer to the avoidance of a cutting defense spending in order to avoid future war is an ever-expanding Pentagon budget that dwarfs all comprehension? Our military spending, or as the Warhawks call it, defense spending, I'm not sure what we're defending, but whatever, it's so enormous that it's more than the combined military spending of some of the world's most prosperous countries like England, Germany, Spain, and Australia. The amount of waste, fraud, and abuse of all government spending boggles the mind, as we've all heard stories about the $700 toilet seat or the $1 billion aircraft carrier. We got a bunch of out-of-control, unaccountable military bureaucrats bought and paid for by defense lobbyists. It's no different than the COVID vaccine scandal. Everyone is bought and paid for by Pfizer. Let's be honest. If a federal government spokesman is making a pitch, whether it's about lockdowns, mass mandates, the vaccine, or a military incursion, you can rest assured they are lying. Can we talk about how they lied us into two significant wars just in the last 60 years, Vietnam and Iraq? Can we talk about the dozens of so-called interventions that the U.S. military has been involved in over that same period? The meddling and the coups we've been involved in, including Ukraine. Are we supposed to just ignore history? This neoconservative position has always rested on a manufactured consent of the majority. This appeal to the will of the people provides these war hawks moral authority for endless intervention in the world. The truth is, America is always screwing with Russia and Putin. We provoke them. America sends arms to Ukraine. We sail our fleet into the Black Sea. In 2014, the CIA engineered a coup against a popularly elected president of Ukraine, a guy named Viktor Yanukovych. He was relatively neutral. He was replaced with someone that was favorable to the West, or as some have called it, a pro-U.S. puppet regime. I guess the CIA was looking five or ten years down the road at our enemy, Russia, avoiding future war with them by screwing around with the leadership of a neighboring nation. That was in our national interest, huh? I call bullshit. Paul Craig Roberts puts it this way. Washington's strategy of arming and training the Ukrainians and provoking them into a major attack on the Donbass Russians has failed. Let me just pause here for a second. Uh, When they say Donbass Russians, it's basically a part of Ukraine that's um, comprised largely of Russians, and I'll talk about it more in a minute. His quote continues, Ukraine knows that Russia will not permit any significant damage to Donbass. Moreover, Ukrainians are unsure they could even defeat the Donbass army, which is probably armed with the new Russian high-impact weapons. Ukraine understands that Russia can wipe out its forces with conventional missiles without sending troops across the border. Let's talk truth. After all, this is the Truth Quest podcast. Let's start with a brief history lesson. 
Doug Casey explains, the part of the Ukraine in question is called Donbass, as I just mentioned. It's occupied about 70% by Russians and 30% by Ukrainians, as is Crimea. These areas have been part of Russia for over 200 years since the Russians took them from the Ottomans. Nikita Khrushchev, a Ukrainian, arbitrarily transferred Crimea from the Russia SSR to the Ukrainian SSR in 1954 to help cement his USSR leadership position in the turbulent times after Stalin's death. It should be recognized that the very word Ukraine comes from an old Slavic term for borderland. It's an area where borders have always been ill-defined and fluid. The place is more of a concept than a real country. It is only recognized as a country with the creation of the USSR. Until recently, the place was called the Ukraine in recognition of its amorphous status, although that term is no longer politically correct. The truth is, the U.S., diplomatically speaking, is a liar of the first order, much like our current president. This whole situation originates with America's lies to Russia. Jacob Hornberger puts it this way, We should keep in mind that the reason that NATO, which is controlled by the U.S. officials, was called into existence after World War II was to protect Western Europe from a Soviet attack. Never mind that the possibility of such an attack was virtually non-existent. Let's not forget the massive death and destruction suffered by the Soviet Union at the hands of the Nazi army. The Soviets had lost more than 20 million people. Moreover, the German invasions of the Soviet Union had left the entire country in ruins. By the end of the war, Russia's industrial capacity was decimated. At the Yalta Conference, U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt agreed that the Soviets could have Eastern Europe. When the Soviets unilaterally dismantled their empire and exited Eastern Europe in 1989, the United States had an excellent opportunity to do its part to restore a peaceful and harmonious world. He continues, it should have dismantled NATO immediately. NATO's ostensible mission of protecting Western Europe from the Soviet Union was over. If NATO had been abolished, there wouldn't be a crisis in Ukraine today. The only reason that Russia feels the need to invade Ukraine today is because the Pentagon and the CIA keep NATO in existence, and then they had NATO move its forces eastward towards Russia's borders by gobbling up those former Warsaw Pact countries and threatening to do the same thing with Ukraine. Russia considers the expansion of NATO as a direct military threat. The United States has been conducting military exercises in countries bordering Russia for more than 20 years. NATO's existence is a provocation, serving no useful purpose. U.S. Secretary of State James Baker had made the famous not-one-inch-eastward assurance about NATO expansion in his meeting with Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev back in February of 1990. Larry Johnson puts it this way, that was a cascade of assurances about Soviet security given by Western leaders to Gorbachev and other Soviet officials throughout the process of German reunification in 1990 and on into 1991. All of that according to recently declassified U.S., Soviet, German, British, and French documents posted at the National Security Archive at George Washington University. So let me give you a sense of what NATO looks like. First of all, its membership has doubled since it started from 16 countries when the Berlin Wall fell to 30 today. It includes the U.S., Canada, Germany, England, Spain, Turkey, Romania, Bulgaria, Greece, Italy, Norway, Denmark. The first round of NATO post-Cold War expansion brought in Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic. Other expansions recently added 11 countries including Estonia, Latvia, Montenegro, and North Macedonia. 
You should see this shit on a map. Basically, Russia's entire western flank is of NATO countries, with the exception of Sweden and Finland to their northwest, and Belarus and Ukraine to their southwest. So Russia is saying, niet, no more. It's absurd. It's absurd for them to react otherwise. Enough is enough. This is stupid. And just like the COVID fiasco, our leaders take us for fools. Whatever load of bullshit they spoon-feed us, the vaccine is safe, two weeks to stop the spread, Russia is acting aggressively, we must send in troops, we eat. Which leads me to ask the question, what would the United States do if Russia put troops in Canada or Mexico? We saw what happened in 1962 with the Cuban Missile Crisis. We didn't like that at all, did we? Our reaction to having Russian troops, tanks, and missiles 90 miles away from the America's border was quite similar to the Russian response to having German and American troops, tanks, missiles right next to Russia's border. Lou Rockwell makes this excellent point. The saddest part of this whole manufactured crisis is that it should make absolutely no difference to us whether Russia controls Ukraine. How is that a threat to the United States? Whatever Biden and his neocon advisors say, America should stay out of the conflicts that are none of our business. On the other hand, you will have neocons like Victor Davis Hansen make claims like Americans want an autonomous Ukraine to survive. They hope the West can stop Russia President Vladimir Putin's strangulation of both Ukraine and NATO. And he also says stuff like, most Americans oppose the notion that Russia can simply dictate the future of Ukraine. He, of course, offers no evidence to support this assertion, especially in light of the ABC poll that I referenced earlier. The truth is, few Americans outside D.C. care about Ukraine or any other part of the world. Hell, Americans don't even care about America. What percent of Americans can find Ukraine or Russia on a map? If the answer is less than, what, 10 or 20 percent, then I vote for no military intervention. How about you? When I was rolling through all those names of NATO members, could you picture them on a map? Do you know where Ukraine is? Really? Belarus? Probably the most important question I can pose to you is this. Do you want to send your son or daughter to fight and possibly die in Ukraine? One writer put it this way. The argument here is totally bonkers, but it is the natural result of conceding the premise of empire. Once you accept that America has a right and duty to arrange the world to reflect the current values of American elites, there is no conflict too small or too far away that does not demand intervention. In fact, Americans must naturally demand intervention, as to do otherwise would be to let evil triumph. This is neoconservative, tarted up with some populist-sounding hand-wringing. Doug Casey points out the absurdity of of all people, Biden, pushing for intervention in Ukraine when he said, quote, The idea of the U.S. maintaining Ukraine's territorial integrity is borderline insane. The U.S. can't even maintain its own border integrity. Apparently, just last year, two million illegal foreign migrants have crossed into the U.S. with more on the way, end quote. You can't claim that the United States has a national interest in the entire globe, which is essentially what the war hawks in both parties now claim. In doing so, we end up having to be the world's policemen. If we're going to do this, Congress must declare war. But see, we don't do that anymore thanks to Congress's abdication of their duty to do such via the War Powers Act of 1973. 
See, they don't want to go on record voting for war because then mothers and fathers who hold them accountable for their baby's deaths and dismemberment might vote against them or, heaven forbid, show up at a town hall meeting. It's a travesty that Congress remains out of the loop here, not just from the front of a potential war with Russia, but in the membership of NATO. After all, if Ukraine joins NATO and then Russia invades Ukraine, the United States is now duty-bound to wage war against Russia. It should be noted that Congress has never specifically approved any of this NATO absorption. Jacob Hornberger points out that ultimately it's the Pentagon and the CIA who makes the determination as to who NATO will absorb and not absorb, notwithstanding the fact that the lives of Americans' young people are being pledged to in the defense of these countries. With each new member, the U.S. government and the American service members are tied to another far-off tripwire under Article 5 of the NATO Treaty, an attack on any member country compels other treaty members to come to its aid. The Constitution is not written in Chinese, people. It's not difficult to understand. It makes it very clear that the declaration of war comes from Congress. Why do you think that is? Could it be that since the entire House of Representatives has to face re-election every two years, and maybe they'll be a little more, shall we say, perceptive about the mood of the voters towards whatever war is being contemplated? When America claims to be peaceful, you know, don't worry, Russia, about all the NATO troops and equipment massing near your country. We come in peace. What do the Russians think about it? Maybe they think about Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, or Afghanistan. Or they may consider Iran and Cuba, who have suffered from U.S. sanctions for decades. Or maybe they cite the dozens of off-the-books operations by U.S. Special Forces all over the globe. So what does Putin want? He wants America to stop provoking him. He wants us out of his backyard. He wants the expansion of NATO to stop. He wants a pro-Russian government in power in Ukraine. He wants no sanctions from anybody. He wants the NATO bases around his country gone. He wants the missiles position in those surrounding countries gone. How hard is that to understand? Let's wrap up this episode with this quote from Doug Casey. Quote, The important thing to remember here is that Russia itself is a threat to nobody. It's really nothing but a gas station with an attached gun store in the middle of a wheat field. End quote. In other words, it's a paper tiger with nuclear bombs. Their economy is weak and undiversified. Its military is no match against any of the major world powers. It's run by a bunch of corrupt, money-grubbing oligarchs. Well, that part sounds like the United States. And despite all of that, the United States war drum continues to pound incessantly. The main reason Biden keeps beating his war drum is that war is a distraction from domestic problems. Presidents have been doing it since the beginning of the country. Create a foreign enemy on who to blame domestic problems and or it will reliably divert the news cycle from things you don't want people to hear or talk about given the state of the alphabet soup conspiracy media doing the bidding of Democrats on a nightly basis. If I were Biden, I'd probably do it too. And in case you haven't noticed, the United States is indeed a mess domestically. Inflation is out of control because of printing of money and artificially low interest rates. We have out of control illegal immigration. We have out of control crime in many blue cities. We have supply chain problems. We have COVID hysteria and mandates. All of those things happened on purpose. With the exception of money printing and the artificially low interest rates, you can draw a straight line from democratic policies to these problems. But instead of cutting spending, letting interest rates float, 
enforcing the border, funding the police, removing bullshit Green New Deal restrictions on trucks in California, and removing vaccine mandates from truck drivers, and cutting all the lies and bullshit with COVID, our omnipotent overlords in D.C. prefer to poke the Russian bear and threaten war. Yet another example of something done on purpose. But you can't point the finger at one political party for this one. Nope. This is an equal opportunity for the Washington establishment as a whole. And that's the truth about Ukraine. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Podcast.